Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver, joined tonight by Mr. Mike McDaniel. Mike, how the hell are you? I'm doing a hell of a lot better than I was at the end of last week. Uh, so the Red Sox lost and got swept, as I talked about in the last podcast. And then this weekend was obviously rough. So doing a little bit better now. It's Tuesday. The sun is shining a little bit brighter. And we're two days away from Tech versus Miami and Blacksburg. So I'm feeling pretty good. It's good, recovering from some sports depression. That's always good. We're also joined tonight by a very special guest, someone we've not had on yet. Uh, he is formerly the sole proprietor of BC Interruption, covering Boston College on the SB Nation Network, and now works in some capacity at the actual Boston College Athletic Department. I'll let him explain that a little further. We've got Mr. Dan Rubin joining the program. Dan, how are you doing, sir? Well, I would like to say also that I am also dealing with Red Sox depression. I'll just throw that out there, especially because the Indians went up 3 nothing on the uh, on the Blue Jays. So that's, there's a whole bunch of depression going on with me. But thank you for having me. I miss you guys. Back when we were doing all that stuff and we were uh, you know doing all the, the video and, and podcast together. So it's good to, good to get back and talk some football with you fine gentlemen. Um, you hit the nail on the head. I'm working with, uh, with BC Eagles, the, the athletic department right now in their capacity. It's a... Uh, it's kind of a, a blog slash analysis type site um, on bceagles.com called Eagles Unlimited, where take a look, talk to the coaches, uh, really get to do some analysis and dive in, do some deep dive on uh, on the programs and, and try to get some publicity and, and recognition for some of the other programs out there as well. Like I'm going to have some features on the golf team, field hockey, uh, women's soccer, start kicking up basketball stuff. So. You know, it's not just a it's it's not just a football site, uh, but it's off of bceagles.com, and I've been really lucky and and blessed to to, to be a part of their of, of their new initiative. Well, congratulations! Happy that's going well for you. Um, we we kind of wanted to start there and talk some Boston College with you here. We're we're going to preview Week Eight in the ACC here a little later, and of course we'll have our picks of the week at the end. Uh, it's a little bit of a lighter slate, though, and so we wanted to bring Dan on and kind of get some perspective on the state of the Boston College program, which I think is kind of an interesting status right now. Um, so just early on looking at it, Boston College 3-3 three and three on the year, 0-3 in conference. Um, they, they've beaten UMass, Wagner, and Buffalo. They've lost conference games to Georgia Tech in Ireland, uh, a road trip to Virginia Tech, and uh, a home game to number 3 Clemson at the time, um, and going back to last year, Boston College went 0-8 in conference play, so you got to go all the way back to 2014 to find a conference win for Boston College in football, um, so Dan, tell me, I mean, is there is there some restlessness in the fan base with, with Steve Adazio? I mean, this is year four now, so, I mean, where, where does this compare to expectations for, for the coach and for the team? It's it's really hard to tell. I think when you when we look at Boston College and the football program and, and what Steve Adazio had to undertake, um, things got a little bit uh, things were very tough for him. I'll, I'll put it that way. He came in, needed to establish his base, did it the first two years with some success. Where he he had either an Andre Williams type player the first year, was able to recruit Tyler Murphy to play quarterback for a fifth out of Florida, transfer him in for his fifth year. Um, the second year, and really starting in year three is where you start to see Steve Adazio need to start formulating his base. The team was very, very, very young last year, and, and people really don't like hearing that because it's it's not what they – like, you just don't want to hear, well, we're young and inexperienced, but that's really where the facts lay uh, – facts lie, rather. And last year they went through their growing pains. Injuries really conspired to hurt that team last year. Um it was very obvious, no wide receivers that were really healthy, that were the top flight. Uh, your top quarterback gets hurt. Your offensive line gets hurt. It's been well documented whether or not people you know, like to respond to that. It's been well documented that that was the case. This year you come in, you have a fifth-year transfer quarterback in Patrick Tolles, but you still have not won the conference game, which is, with the fan base, 
the pink elephant in the room. I, I mean, it's the elephant in the room that they are getting restless because you're halfway through the year and you still have not won that conference game. Now, I think when you look within the numbers, you see that Boston College is, an, is a growing program. They're, they're not going to be able, at this point at least, and I think it would be uh, careless and reckless to consider them, you know, oh, how come we're not competing with Clemson? in the first couple of seasons that Steve Adazio has been able to get his guys in the third and fourth year. At the same time, you're playing a schedule where, Joey, you know it as well as I do, the Georgia Tech game, first game of the year, going to Ireland, the time change, the weather, playing on grass versus turf. It was very, very, very different of an experience. And when you look at Boston College, they were within a freak fourth and 20 pass from Justin Thomas of winning that game. And then he a completes great, the pass and goes. A great fourth and 20 pass. <laughs> Not something anybody expected coming. And, you know, at, at, at any juncture, your other two losses in the conference come against a emerging Virginia Tech team who had the talent and now has the coach putting it all together. And, Mike, I, I can feel you smiling when I give Virginia Tech the props. You see me smiling too there. I, I know, I know. And Clemson, who is the national runner-up. Now, Virginia Tech, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It was when you were watching that game, if you were a BC fan, you, you really had to step back and say, well, it was just one of those days. You go into Clemson, and yes, it was a blowout loss the same way that Virginia Tech was, um, where you lose by 40-odd points. And instead of looking at it and saying, well, this is one of those days, you don't want to have one of those days twice in four weeks, I look at it and I say, BC played Clemson as best as they could have. Clemson is just that good. You know, BC, when you go back and look at some of those plays, they were in coverage, they were covering the receivers, they were just getting into the backfield, uh, they were able to do things defensively, but they just couldn't finish the play because Deshaun Watson knows how to get out of a tackle and scramble. Um, you know, the wide receivers can go up and make the Randy Moss catch over your defensive backs. The running backs can actually make you miss, you know, in ways that other teams can't. So I understand the restlessness and I understand the it's six games into the season and we still have not won a conference game. It's it's in there. It's 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 out in the open. I understand the restlessness. But at the same time, Boston College has not played a team on their level. They have not played. They've not. They've played three teams. Excuse me. In conference that are either on their level, Georgia Tech, where they played them tight. Two teams that are substantially better than them at this point in time, and they won three games against teams that honestly were. You're going to win those games. UMass, Wagner, and Buffalo. You're not losing those games if you're an ACC team. So I understand it, but. There's a lot of different layers to it that make it a very, very compelling and interesting conversation that I could drone on for another 15 minutes about. Well, I was going to say, Dan, can you handicap this defense for us? Because if there's one thing that Steve Adazio has done well since he's been at BC, it's recruit to the defense and coach up the defense. And that was one of his strengths coming in as the head coach. You look at BC, they're fourth in the country in total defense. And the question I have is a question that a lot of people ask of me with Virginia Tech. BC's defense this year being fourth in total defense do you think it's more of a product of their schedule that they've played so far offensively? I mean, you take you know the Virginia Tech game aside. I mean, BC's defense has been spectacular, and and you can argue that you know even giving up 49 points in Virginia Tech, this this could be one of the top one of the top defense top three defenses in the country, or maybe the top defense in the country in terms of total defense. How much of that do you attribute to the offenses they've played thus far, and you know maybe maybe compare and contrast last year's defense to this year's defense? It's a little different, and I think um, it's okay for people to look at the defense and expect what happened last year, being the number one overall defense, keeping them in all of those games. I think it is perfectly acceptable for them to have expected them to remain an elite defense, and they have remained an elite defense. The difference in defense from last year to this year is the way that they attack offenses. Last year, there was a lot more pinning their ears back, a lot more blitz packages, and it was just straight-up mayhem. They, they wanted to get in the backfield, and they wanted to kill the quarterback, crush the running back, and jam the receivers. It was just mayhem. This year, it's still the same 4-3 defense. Uh, defensive coordinator aside, Don Brown left for Michigan. Jim Reed, the Iowa linebackers coach, former UMass and Richmond head coach, is in as the defensive coordinator now at BC. Uh, nothing else changed. Uh, and, and the system is the same. But when you're scheming to your staff and you're scheming to your personnel bc became a little bit more of a coverage team being able to fade back into coverage and do a little bit more now when your defense is on the field too frequently and they're getting a little bit gassed 
then you're going to give up big plays, which they have been susceptible to. When teams go on runs against them, it's because the defense is on the field too much. If you go back to the Virginia Tech game, they were run off the field in time of possession. The third quarter, Clemson scored 21 points in bunches. It, it really goes back into that. The defense, though, much older than the offense. They, they have a lot more experience playing together. They have a lot more guys who have played together. And when I use the word experience, I don't necessarily mean guys who are just seniors versus freshmen. I mean guys that have played together on that defense in game situations for a number of years. And I think it's okay to look at Boston College and see the defense a little bit different, but at the same time still playing at a very high level. But again, as you mentioned, you have two games that you gave up a lot of points and you're still the number four defense because you played three games against teams that you were just going to destroy So with the, with the level of talent that you have on that defense. So I really think this, year, this week against Syracuse is going to be a great measuring stick for that defense, especially with Syracuse's offense being somewhat talented. I mean, they, they, it just didn't happen that they beat Virginia Tech. So I think it's okay to look at the numbers and appreciate those numbers. At the same time, it's okay to look at it and say they're going to get tested this week the way that they haven't so far this season. Yeah, that's kind of been the story for Syracuse is that they, they have a good scheme that's designed to be potent, but they're not going to out-talent a whole lot of people. And so we've talked a lot on this podcast about how you know Dina Weber starts to recruit better there, and that's going to be a better program. But for now, definitely a, a good measuring stick for where Boston College stands. On the other hand, Dan, you look at the offense, and this is the part that concerns me because we talk about like, oh, well, since Adazio has been there, they've had you know really good defenses. The problem is that Adazio is not a defensive guy. Um, Adazio is an offensive guy. Adazio was the offensive coordinator at Florida when they won a national title and all this. And I'm, I mean, outside of maybe the Andre Williams years, like you mentioned before, this this offense has been a little bit of a mess since he's been there. But does that concern you, or I mean, is there is there a good reason for this? Because I mean, I, I can remember even then, like Florida fans when he was there were concerning about you know were complaining maybe about some of his play calls and things like this. I mean, is that is that something you're happy with? Or, I mean, what should I think about that? Well, it's it's funny. Before I, before I even started working with, with the Boston College Eagles website, with, with the Boston College Athletic Department, I um, I used to get called out because I used to say, I used to be able to look within it and say, I think this can work, and I think that his offense can work. Now that I'm, now that I'm there, everyone says, well, you're, you're saying it uh, because you're saying it. And I'm not saying it just for the sake of saying it. I like what Steve Adazio has done at times with the offense. Now, last year, the offensive numbers were unacceptable. He'll be the first one to say that. And I think when you look at those numbers, you can. You, there's no way around it. The numbers last year were unacceptable. Um, I also think there was a reason for it, which you lose your starting quarterback in the third game of the season – and then you lose another couple of offensive linemen. You start cycling guys in. You never real. You lose your starting running back. You didn't have any healthy running backs for a long period of time. And then the wheels just come off, and you're never able to get back on track. Last year, they never got on track, and I think that's a little disconcerting. But at the same time, when you look within the numbers, and I feel like I said this a lot last year, it um, you know, it it was just the way that it was. This year. They are having some success, and they are doing some things well. They're throwing the ball substantially better. I think when you look at the passing offense, they're able to connect on big plays because Patrick Tolles and Jeff Smith have started to develop a little bit. Tolles, as a passer, has been miles above what anybody could really have wanted from him to manage that offense. There is a level of concern with the offense, though, because the numbers really aren't there. And the numbers aren't there in the running game. And the running game for Boston College has always been the catalyst. The reason why the running game isn't there falls on the offensive line, which Steve Adazio has said is consistently inconsistent. Now, in the first six games of the season, when the offensive line didn't really work together during the week because you had a guy with a bad ankle or you had guys that weren't really working together in practice that then go into the game, they just didn't have it. Whatever it is, they just didn't have it. And they would have it against UMass at times. They would have it against Georgia Tech at times. And they would have it against Clemson at times. But they never really had it all together. And I did actually see some positive plays 
out of the offense against George against um against Clemson rather. Problem is when you have an offensive line that is not gelling and is not consistently consistent, you're going to run into problems, especially with a run first offense. Boston College's offensive theory is to control the clock, don't get into a shootout, limit your opponent's possessions, stop those limited possessions, and win the game in a low-scoring game. You have to keep the game close. If the offense isn't able to do that, then you wind up with what happened in two losses this year. So I think there's, again, valued concern, but at the same time, I do think moving forward, if that offensive line gels, if they play well together, we'll see, we'll find out on Saturday, if they play well together, if they can open up some lines, then I think that offense will control the clock, limit Syracuse's possessions, and get into the end zone, which ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what you're measured by. Yeah, and, and Dan, just you know, speaking a little bit more to Patrick Tolles, obviously, he's he's been about everything that you could have asked for as, as a BC fan. Um, you know, coming into the year, you guys had so little production at the quarterback se- uh, at the quarterback position the last couple of seasons, especially last year, like you spoke to. Um, with him completing only about fifty-one percent of his passes right now, you know, he, he seems to be overall taking care of the football. He's only thrown three interceptions so far this year. With John Hilleman and Devon Jones at running back, now you guys got a nice little one-two punch. Obviously, really nice to see John Hilleman healthy. Is is less more with Patrick Tolles? Um, in other words. Do you think it almost wholeheartedly relies on the running game? I know you spoke to that, you know, kind of at length there in the last question, but you know, with, with tolls, do you think do you think he completes a better percentage of his passes with a better run game or a better effort from the offensive line? Do you think it's a little bit of both? Do you think the offensive line is just struggling in pass protection? What do you think ultimately this whole thing falls back on? Is it just inconsistency on the offensive line as a whole? Um, what do you kind of attribute to Tolles only completing about 51% of his passes so far? I think he's doing a little bit of what's been asked of him, and I don't think he's been asked to do too much. Um, I think if you really look at the, I want to say the Buffalo game. The Buffalo game, they decided they were going to work on the throw game a little bit and open things up and run a little bit of tempo offense and do some different things with the passing game. He played exceptionally well in that game. Um, I think when you look at the Wagner game, they didn't use the running game. They didn't use the passing game, rather, because they were working so much on the running game. And they decided against a team like Wagner, FCS, let's work on the offensive line and see what the running back can do when there's actual holes involved. Um, It is a nice one-two punch. Unfortunately for those guys at the running game, it has fallen on the offensive line. You have to figure, against Virginia Tech, they didn't open any gaps um, it was just that maybe they were asked too much. I think Steve Adazio even admitted they went a little too complex in the in the offensive scheme. They came back on the short week against Wagner and decided, we're going to simplify and go back to fundamental offense. Instead of running a crazy gap or a, an ISO or a zone block, we're just going to work on blocking. And we're going to get fundamental and get our hands dirty and just work on fundamental blocking. And it worked out really well. Granted, again, it's against Wagner. Um, so back to your your point with Patrick Tolles, if the running game is on, he's not going to be asked to do too much. When the running game doesn't work, with that offensive line not not really being consistent uh, or taking a step forward on one play and then taking a step back, Tolles himself is able to be answer the call, which is just move the chains. Doesn't necessarily have to be pretty with the way he throws the ball. He runs the ball really well. You're just asking him to move the chains keep the game moving, manage that game, and I think the percentage and maybe the numbers don't illustrate what he's meant to that offense because when you need him to make a play, he has shown the ability to do it. Dan, last question for me. Um, so as we said before, so Boston College 3-3, three and 0-3 three, uh, three in conference, three wins over teams you would have fully expected wins over. Uh, it was really interesting, too. I was looking at Bill Conley's S&P Plus win expectancies against UMass, Wagner, and Buffalo. 100% win expectancy, 100%, 100%. In the two losses, Virginia Tech and Clemson, 0%. And then the Georgia Tech game, a 79% win, win expectancy. So about four to five times they would have won that game, in theory, given the stats and all. So I thought that was interesting. But So they've dominated in the games that they, they should have. And in a couple of them, like you said, I mean, they, they kind of just didn't match up. Now, 
looking at the, the, the rest of the schedule, so this week at home against Syracuse, at NC State, home against Louisville, at Florida State, home against Connecticut, at Wake Forest. So back and forth between the friendly confines of uh, Boston College and home, what, what Chestnut Hill? Chestnut Hill. The friendly you can call it Boston. You can call it Boston. People from people people who are who are from rival schools call it, say Chestnut Hill's not in Boston. Um, it's an enclave. It is it is for all intents and purposes, it's Boston. Okay, fair enough. The friendly confines of Boston, back and forth between there and road games at NC State, at Florida State, and at Wake Forest. Give me a realistic projection for where you think this team ends up. Um. I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the really nice way out of this, and I'm just gonna say let's go week to week with it. And I think that's um, that's me uh, that's me might might be slithering out of the question a little bit too, um, and I readily admit that. But I think when you look at the um, when you look at the schedule and you look at each game, there is so much. And, and people love to do it. You love to project, and and I do it too, where you look and you project and say where where can they end up in November at the end. Um, I look at it and I say, I've decided. I took a conscious effort after the six games to say, instead of getting ahead of myself into November, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to say, let's just focus right now on the one week. I really want to see how BC does against Syracuse. I think it's, you know, people are calling it a must-win game and people are saying this is a game that Boston College has to win in order to get to bowl eligibility. Mathematically, that's not entirely true. They could, they got plenty of games left to get three wins. Probability-wise, obviously, you don't really expect them to go in and beat Florida State. I think Wake Forest has shown themselves to be very capable. I think that when you look, Louisville is Louisville. Um, but I think that when you look at the way BC has played, you really have to boil it down to just this week. I think that everything with the way the season has gone, with the way last year kind of played with people's emotions to a negative I think let's focus on Syracuse, work on that one game, get the win, and we're only as good in Boston College as this week and focus on next week. I think that's the reasonable explanation for it. Well, that's a good answer. Uh, the, the Boston College AD is actually one of our top listeners here on the, on the program, so saving your job, nice work. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, you make some good points. I mean, you know, we don't really know where Boston College is. As, as strange as that's like sounds in mid-October I mean I think you're you're absolutely right that there hasn't really been a great example of competition to give us a great gauge of where they stand so game to game probably uh, probably the way to approach this um Mike any more questions before we move on I'm all set you're all set all right well Dan I appreciate you taking the time to kind of walk through that with us we're going to roll through these week eight matchups if you want to stick around and uh, talk through these with us hey why not Perfect. All right. So week eight, uh, we've got a full uh, four-course meal of ACC action this weekend, um, and we'll we'll start from the top here, Mike, with the the most important, maybe, and exciting game of the weekend uh, is a Thursday night in Blacksburg as the freshly unranked Miami Hurricanes, sorry Cam, uh, travel to take on the freshly unranked Virginia Tech Hokies. Sorry, in a Mike. game where a couple teams are trying to, to bounce back from some losses, um, Virginia Tech a six-point favorite, again, at home, Thursday night, 7, 7 o'clock on ESPN. This is a classic college football environment, a classic ACC football environment. Mike, you are kind of of the impression that the loss to Syracuse last weekend was a bit of a fluke, and we're going to see why on Thursday. Am I, am I correct? I was going to say, we're going to skip the appetizer here in our four-course meal and go right to the main course because this is the really the only game, um, only big game of the weekend. Um, you can make some arguments for the other three games that we'll get into in a second. You know, some are more exciting than others. Dan, right? Um, <laughs> right. Um, no, but anyway, no. Uh, you know, this game, I wouldn't say the Virginia Tech-Syracuse game was a fluke necessarily. Um, there were some some aspects of that game that kind of manifests itself and you know they're not really that big of a surprise first of all Virginia Tech has really struggled at the Carrier Dome historically um, back when Virginia Tech and Syracuse were Big East rivals Virginia Tech seemingly always lost in the Carrier Dome uh, in the early 90s of course the era of Donovan McNabb there at Syracuse 
Um, so, so, you know, Virginia Tech's unable to exercise their demons, but I think the one, you know, overarching point here is the continued issue that Bud Foster's defenses have with a mobile quarterback. I'm talking a true mobile dual-threat quarterback. Virginia Tech's really struggled with them defensively, um, especially the last few years where you feel like Virginia Tech's defense is one of the top five or six units in the country, you know, last, last season notwithstanding, obviously, due to injury. And they've just really struggled against a mobile quarterback. We saw that again last Saturday. Um, obviously, Eric Dungey was able to throw for 400. He ran for 100. Um, a guy that's really been, you know, a guy that, you know, coming into the game, you know, didn't have a ton of, a ton of hype built around him. But the way that he was playing, obviously, in that new system there at Syracuse, he looks like the perfect quarterback for that system. He gets the ball out of his hands quick. He seems to be a pretty good decision maker, and he can make plays on his feet when needed. And that kind of quarterback has shredded Virginia Tech here because Virginia Tech, obviously, they like to play man across the board and then send a couple linebackers. Um, they, they also send secondary members uh, of their defense, too. They like to send five, six, seven guys at one time on blitzes. That's a really aggressive Bud Foster scheme that he's always employed at Virginia Tech. That didn't work last week against Syracuse. So was it a huge surprise? No, especially with a short week here and a look-ahead game to Miami because that's the game that everybody was looking at. Of course, Virginia Tech came off of that huge win in Chapel Hill in a hurricane um, in more ways than one. It was a big win just because of how good their opponent is in North Carolina. I think North Carolina displayed that even further this past Saturday when they went on to beat Miami after losing to Virginia Tech the way they did. It showed a lot about the resiliency of that North Carolina team. But when looking at Virginia Tech, they, they have a huge win against North Carolina. They come back. They're obviously thinking about the Miami game. They slip up against a team with a quarterback that's historically plagued a Bud Foster defense. So it's not necessarily fluky in that regard, but it's fluky in the way that I think Virginia Tech's a much better defense than the defense they showed last Saturday. And I do think they're a much better offense than what they showed last Saturday because, as we saw offensively, Virginia Tech was unable to put up more than 17 points against one of the worst defenses in college football. So I think Virginia Tech's on pace to bounce back. It's a huge game Thursday night in Blacksburg. They've been thinking about it all along. You can ask the players. They can shy away from it all they want and say the focus was on Syracuse. It clearly wasn't for anybody who watched that game. They're thinking about this game against Miami. This is a, a conventional drop-back quarterback. Bud Foster feasts on these guys. He feasts on the drop-back quarterback. Brad Kai is a very, very good player. He's one of the top NFL draft prospects out of this class. If he decides to come out after his junior season this year, I'm hard-pressed to say that he won't. Um, but given Virginia Tech's struggles against the run the last time Virginia Tech played Miami in Blacksburg, game that I was at when my, during my senior year, Virginia Tech had all sorts of issues stopping Duke Johnson. Um, and, and the running game gashed Virginia Tech's defense. We haven't seen a running game really gash a Virginia Tech defense thus far this season, um, other than Eric Dungey last Saturday, you know, as a mobile quarterback. So I think this is a bounce-back game for Virginia Tech. I really like their defense to bounce back in a huge way this Thursday night. You look at their defense, I think they can stop the run with Mark Walton and Joe Yearby. No, it won't be an easy task, but I think it's something that this defense is primed to do. I think if they do that, we've seen Brad Kaya kind of get flustered, that offensive line. While they've been better this year, um, you see the issues they have when they're not running the football well. They're a team that kind of shrinks in the moment. We saw that Saturday against North Carolina. I think we can see it again on Thursday night. I think Miami will be up for this game. I think it'll be a huge matchup. I, it should live up to the hype in Blacksburg despite both teams losing last Saturday. I like Virginia Tech to win. Um, but right now they're six-point favorites. I think they win this game by 10, um, and I think it, it's it's only 10 because I think Miami scores a late touchdown. I think this could be a huge bounce-back game for Virginia Tech. I think they're primed to jump out to an early lead. I think they'll get that defense, that crowd behind them. I like Virginia Tech to, to go up a couple scores in this game and win kind of comfortably. Um, you know, Maybe Miami scores late, makes it a 10-point margin, but I love Virginia Tech to cover on Thursday night. Dan, you're you're a Boston College guy by trade. Like this is the that's the team that you pay the most attention to, obviously. But I know that you'll watch any any teams playing a good game. Um, is there any reason right now with Miami coming off of the two losses they they've had with you know a, a primetime loss to Florida State, a huge rivalry game, and then another letdown loss last weekend to North Carolina, at, also at home? Is there any reason to think that they can go to Blacksburg on a Thursday night and and pull this upset? Well, that's that's one of the things that playing in Blacksburg on a Thursday that I know I, is one of my main points to bring up. I know that 
Steve Adazio said that his team wasn't ready for the atmosphere of a, a juiced-up Lane Stadium. And, and I shouldn't say that, that they weren't ready, just that they couldn't. You can try to simulate it in practice, but then once you actually get into game situations, it's totally different. That's Lane Stadium on a Saturday afternoon. Now we're talking about Lane Stadium in its element, a Thursday night, which I, I know how insane uh, Virginia Tech can get on a Thursday night, and I think that plays a role that you can't underscore. You don't want to overstate it, but you also can't understate it. The other part about this game that, for me, gives an edge to Virginia Tech is that I always felt like Miami's number 10 ranking was on the basis that it was Miami, and, and obviously they're ultra-talented. They have a ton of talent. They have a great quarterback. I, I really do believe Brad Kaya is going to play on Sundays. Uh, Mark Rick, phenomenal coach. Uh, very, very well coached uh, any of his teams, even four games into the season. But when you look down the, the scale of the four teams that they beat, the only team that they really had beaten was Georgia Tech. They had beaten Florida A&M, Florida Atlantic, and Appy State. And I don't necessarily think those three teams, when you're beating them as badly as you are, is a good measuring stick for anything. Now, they go and they beat Georgia Tech, decent measuring stick, but I think the number 10 ranking was a little too high for them. They lose the two games. It's This is a huge game for them to get back the mojo from people saying that. So I think Miami has a lot to prove in this game, but it is a Thursday night. It is in Virginia Tech. And if you look at the overall rankings or the overall standings, this is one of those games where Virginia Tech wins. They can put some distance between them and the rest of the, in the lower half of the division. And if Miami loses, there's going to be some distance between Miami and the teams in front of them. So based off of that, and just kind of if it all gets jumbled up, it's a lot cleaner if, if Virginia Tech wins the game. Uh, so I'm, I think Virginia Tech has the edge if this game were played in Miami on a Thursday night. Maybe it's a different story, but I really think playing Thursday night in Lane Stadium is, is a big difference for anybody, not just Miami, for anybody. You can't really underscore how much of a home field advantage Virginia Tech has. Virginia Tech's kind of in the middle of a weird slate of games where they've played a road game on Saturday, they play a home game now on Thursday, and then they go play another road game the following Thursday. So that's two road games and three total games within a 12-day stretch. Uh, if if you see Virginia Tech favored on the road at Pittsburgh next weekend, or next Thursday, excuse me, uh, keep that in mind because that might be a tough game to get up for yet again uh, after so little rest. And Tech never plays well against Pittsburgh either and at Heinz Field. Um, mm-hmm. That's a place where, like the Carrier Dome, Heinz Field is that place where Virginia Tech has yet to exercise their demons. They need to go in there and play well, but they have a huge game this Thursday first. Yeah, and I thought Dan made a great point of this is, this is really critical for Virginia Tech's standing in the Coastal. Um, if they really are going to go win the Coastal Division this year, uh, that, that win over North Carolina was huge a couple weeks ago, but Carolina then goes and beats Miami, and with Virginia Tech losing to Syracuse, that's that's not helpful. Um, that's that's kind of a bad loss, and so I think this is probably the toughest game remaining on the schedule for the Hokies, if not a road trip to Pittsburgh just for circumstantial reasons, if more than anything. Um, ultimately, once they get to November, they can kind of coast. I don't think they're going to have any problems with, with Duke, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, or Virginia, but um, ultimately, I mean, this is this is a critical game for Virginia Tech. I, I'm with Mike. I think they were probably looking ahead uh, to this game when they went to Syracuse. I think that uh, the problems that Miami was having the last couple of weeks, struggling to run the ball, uh, Brad Kai has not been excellent. His receivers have not been helping him out a ton. Um, I don't think those things get better when you leave and you go to an atmosphere like Lane Stadium on a Thursday night. I don't think that when you, again, leave home and go all the way up to Virginia, take a long road trip, I don't think those things get better either. I think that this team is going to continue kind of spiraling down from what they kind of were before the Florida State game. It's kind of wild now to think that Maybe we were right that they were a little overrated at number 10 going into the Florida State game after beating what what we said. I mean, Florida A&M, Florida Atlantic, Appalachian State, and Georgia Tech. That might have been a little premature. So I'm with you guys. I think Virginia Tech gets done here. I think they bounce back. And, uh, and I think ultimately then they just got to hang on to try to win this division with North Carolina kind of breathing down their neck with only one loss. Um, 
I think this this sets up very interestingly down the stretch for for what happens in the ACC Coastal. Hard to dis- hard to disagree there. Um, I was just gonna say, you know, one last point. We're talking about, you know, North Carolina, and they're kind of. I don't want to say a tough team to figure out. I mean, I think they obviously have a really good offense, a defense that's improved, but. You know, the one thing about North Carolina is if that game is not a monsoon um, in Chapel Hill, I think it gets a lot more interesting. Yes, I think Virginia Tech still wins that game, but I think especially Virginia Tech loses, obviously. North Carolina is essentially in the driver's seat after their win um, against Miami last weekend. And despite not having the tiebreaker of Virginia Tech, you look at North Carolina and the way they're playing and the brunt of their schedule is already out of the way, and they have a softer schedule coming in. Not necessarily the case for Virginia Tech going back-to-back Thursdays here against Miami and Pittsburgh, so that's obviously something to monitor to you guys' points. Yeah, that this will be, again, a classic Thursday night ACC game. I would highly recommend, if you're not a fan of either of these two teams, if you just like watching good football, this is a good one to tune into. Uh, this, this should be a fun one. I remember, what was it, maybe four years ago in this game in Blacksburg when they had like the end-of-game enter Sandman and the whole place just went nuts. Yeah, it was actually, yeah, it was my, uh, it, it was 2011, uh, my freshman year at Tech. Um, yeah, it was, that was a Logan Thomas quarterback draw with about two minutes left, and uh, Ja'Cory Harris was leading Miami down the field, and they played Enter Sandman during a timeout, and needless to say, they, you know, that's where that drive ended. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, yeah, that was a crazy atmosphere. I, I'd say, like, out of all the games I went to, you know, I, I, Went to Virginia Tech's obviously upset at Columbus, which is the craziest college football game I've ever been in attendance for. But I'd have to say the craziest atmosphere at Lane Stadium, I still think, is my freshman year when Tech beat Miami. Man, Logan Thomas and Ja'Cory Harris, ghosts of ACC past. Um, God. Wow. All right. Yeah, throwback. All right, guys, let's, let's move on here. Let's get on into the weekend. Uh, high noon on ABC, NC State, the Wolfpack, on the road at number seven Louisville, the the Wolfpack coming fresh off of a near miss at Clemson. Now they're going on the road to Papa John's Cardinal Stadium, the pizza box as it were, and trying to <laughs> follow in Duke's footsteps from last week and contain Lamar Jackson. Louisville's a twenty point favorite in this game. Uh, you you would think that we learned our lesson last week when they were a thirty five point favorite and barely squeaked out a 10-point win over Duke. Um, are you tempted by this line at all, Mr. Dan Rubin? I'm tempted because of the any given Saturday approach um, in terms of looking at it, um, and that's really the way I'm coming to. But I think anybody who picks against Louisville in any capacity this year, um, it, let's put it this way. Eventually, Tom Brady does not win a football game. Eventually, the New England Patriots will lose a football game. But you still don't feel comfortable picking against Tom Brady in any circumstance. Same idea. Yeah, that's – I don't know. Yeah, it feels like uh, – not, not to compare anyone to Tom Brady, let's be honest here. But <laughs> <laughs> just say early. Um, <laughs> you know, not that anyone's been hesitant about comparing him to, like, Michael Vick and stuff. But uh, anyways, um, yeah, that's, that's a lot of points, but – um, it, it feels like a bad idea to, to pick against Louisville at this point. Mike, is there – I mean, why would – is NC State really going to be able to do what Duke did defensively to contain and frustrate this, this Cardinal offense? I'll tell you what, man. I was making those Lamar Jackson-Michael Vick comparisons, like, middle of last season, and there were some people just, like, reaching out to me telling me I was out of my mind until Lamar Jackson took the step forward throwing the football, and then I didn't look so crazy anymore. Um, I think Michael Vick tweets, that guy reminds me of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Mike Vick, backing me up, buddy. Um, Yeah, you know, I'm absolutely not picking NC State to win this game, but that's not to say that NC State can't hang. Um, I I think when looking – at their game last weekend, obviously, being able to contain Clemson's offense. All it takes for NC State, and NC State's defense, you know, I was wrong. I'm going to admit I was wrong. NC State, you know, entering their last couple of games, you looked at their defense, and you were like, man, they're ranked really high but haven't played anybody. It's what I call the Virginia Tech and Boston College effect. You know, you're ranked really high, but how good really are you? Um, And you don't know until you start playing a better caliber opponent. Well, we saw NC State play Notre Dame in a monsoon. You throw that away. The same weekend Tech played North Carolina in that Hurricane Matthew. 
you throw that out. But then you look at what NC State did against Clemson last weekend. You know, despite losing, that's a game NC State should have won. They had the Tigers on the ropes. He missed a 33-yard field goal. You know, that's the way, you know, the ball doesn't bounce your way sometimes. But NC State's defense, I think they're for real, um, at least based off of that Clemson performance and what they've shown, statistically to date anyway. Do I think that they'll have the same level of success now going to Louisville? I mean, this is a different animal at quarterback. I'm not going to say that I've been in the in the camp of Deshaun Watson is still a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson can hurt you with his feet more than Deshaun Watson can. And that's why where I think NC State's going to have a little bit of trouble in this game. Last week, you're able to contain Deshaun Watson a little bit better because he's more of a pass-first guy, despite having all the accolades with his, you know, all the accolades and and all of the talk that he got last year with his feet. But that was his first rushing touchdown in the game against NC State last weekend. He hasn't been a guy who's been running the football a whole lot this year. He's been more pass-first. It's almost the opposite here with Louisville. While Lamar Jackson has obviously improved as a passer, he's more of a run-first guy. And I think because of that, NC State's going to have a little bit more trouble in this game. Um, in order to hang with Louisville, they're going to have to turn Lamar Jackson over, which has not been an easy task this year. Uh, Clemson even had trouble doing it. So, And we see how good and how elite their defense is. So. I think when, when looking at NC State, I think they have the offense to score against Louisville. Um, they were able to score against Clemson last weekend, so why wouldn't they be able to score this weekend against Louisville? I think they'll be able to. The 20-point line, I think, is absurd in this game. I think Louisville will win this game by 10 to 14 points. I'm not in the camp of, yeah, Louisville's going to, even though they're playing at home, it's a very tough environment there at Papa John's uh, Stadium there. I don't, I'm not of the opinion that Louisville is going to blow out NC State by any means. I think Dave Doran has the Wolfpack team playing really well right now. I like the momentum they're riding. I think they're a good team. They're not a great team yet. I think they'll get there. I wasn't completely sold on Dave Doran as a coach, but I think now with improved quarterback play this year, Ryan Finley, I'm on board with Dave Doran. I think he keeps his job at NC State. I think they'll be very good the rest of the season, but I don't think they beat Louisville um, Louisville this weekend. I'm not crazy enough to pick NC State. Man, I could see it going either way, where you talk about like a 10, 14-point win that it's a comfortable win for Louisville, but NC State definitely makes it uh, respectable. But you, you also can't help but see the scenario where the uh, the Louisville freight train from hell offense wins this game by like 35 points, right? Just runs away from them, and it's a total boat race. Um, especially if they start scoring early, it's, it's very conceivable that NC State could have a problem ever containing it, and it just totally gets away from them. Um, so I, I'm with you. I would stay away. Honestly, I would just stay away from that that 20 number altogether. I, I don't know that there's a particular spread I would recommend playing this game at. I, I think it could go any any number of ways. Um, for what it is worth, the, the NC State defense by S&P Plus numbers from Bill Conley, the number 13 defense in the country right now uh, by efficiency statistics and several other measures. So doing a nice job on defense up there in Raleigh. Uh, I, I personally, I think that in a weird way, in a, in a kind of a setting that we don't normally see it, I think this game could very much be a letdown game for NC State. Um, it, sure, it's a road game following a road game. It's not really like a rivalry game, but you, you look at how the rivalry game last weekend went and kind of the last minute miss a field goal, just total uh, emotional crumbling that, that could very easily happen for any of those guys. I think there's a lot of potential for that in this game. Uh, having to get up and go on the road again to take on another top 10 team. Sure, it's not hard to be excited for that piece of it, but to do it all a week after you just damn near won a game like that and, and we're just At so noon. close to it. At noon again, too, for a second week in a row as well. Exactly, exactly. So, Well, thir- I mean, thir- third week in a row, really, because they played Notre Dame at noon as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's true. That, a lot of noon games in Raleigh. And really in the ACC in general, but um, yeah, I, hey, give me Louisville, and I, I feel good about Louisville winning this game. I have no earthly idea what I think the margin is here. Dan, I, I take it that you're kind of in in this boat with us here. Yeah, I it, it, look, I I'm I'm very much on the Louisville bandwagon this year, um, and mostly because one of the more underrated things is they run a three four defense. Um, so Louisville's defense. Uh, versus the more traditional 4-3 defense is a little harder to game plan because not as many teams, especially in the ACC, run the 34 as opposed to a 4-3. Um, so I think it's a little harder to game plan, and I think that that's why I usually err to the side of Louisville 
is because if you're not used to facing that type of a defense where you have more linebackers, more different different coverage looks and different kind of blitz packages that they can throw at you with a lot of talented guys, um, you know, it's it's just one of those things that makes me leery of ever picking against them. Um, that's not to say it can't be done, uh, but it's it's just so hard for me and my gut to say Louisville won't do it, especially when if now if NC State does it, that's great. I mean, that's they take a step forward. Dave Doran looks will look fantastic. He's like I said, he's a good coach. He's kept them competitive. This is a huge game for him to take that step forward. And if they can prove, all right, we hung with Clemson. Now we can hang, if not defeat Louisville. NC State will be for real. But I just don't have a good feeling about anything that's not Louisville, except for that Clemson game. If you are looking for a number to bet in this game, the total of 65 points feels a little low. So keep an eye on that. Um, all right, let's move on. We've got two more games here. Uh, we'll go a little more quickly through these. 3 o'clock on the ACC Network Extra and watch ESPN. The number 22 North Carolina Tar Heels fresh off a big win in Miami. An eight-point favorite on the road at Virginia. And this is another game I could see going any number of ways. Um, there could be a little bit of a letdown here, but North Carolina could also very much just boat race this seemingly questionable, although improving, Virginia team. Yeah, I think uh, here's, here's a number for you guys. From 1983 through 2009, North Carolina beat Virginia six times, and that's it. And then came wow. 2010, and they haven't lost since. So there was a time period when Virginia had North Carolina's number in what's the South's oldest rivalry, I think they call it, um, between two two, guy, two t- schools that have a deep rivalry, and over time it had been Virginia's. I think Virginia is one of those teams that I don't feel good about anybody playing them, but you come out on top sort of thing. It's one of those things where I remember a few years ago when when Boston College played Maryland, you were just like, I feel good. I feel like you're going to beat Maryland. Uh, It doesn't matter how good Maryland was. You just kind of felt or how much better the perception was. You just kind of felt like you had a really good shot at beating them. Um, And I kind of think that's the same take where – I don't necessarily think Virginia is going to be anybody's first pick, but I also don't really feel good picking anybody against Virginia because at some point Bronco Mendenhall is going to have that team in such a way that they're going to go out and and win a game. Don't know where it's going to happen, but um, North Carolina just got to be careful this weekend. Mike, I know you got a lot of love for Virginia here. You, You going with them in a straight upset here, the Tar Heels at home? God, I hate Virginia. Um, can I, am I allowed to say that? I don't know if I should like say that. I'm going to say it. At least, we, um, at least we know your objectivity on this one. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. you got to be objective. At the same time, you like got to give the fan perspective and the fact that I did graduate from Virginia Tech. Um, hey, we've, no, we've made I mean, no bones about the teams that we do not like on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan, to catch you up real quick, and, and sorry, listeners, if you're bored by this next, I don't know, 10 or 15 seconds, uh, Virginia... Miami, not huge fans of Florida State. Duke really pisses us off. Um, is that it? I think it's those four, right? Yeah, that's that's a good About, start, right? Okay. Anyway, um, okay, this is going to be this North Carolina Virginia game is going to be a very high scoring game um, <laughs> because Virginia and North Carolina can't play defense, but Virginia and North Carolina can both score a lot of points. How's that for analysis? Um, Kurt Benkert last weekend really impressed me, a quarterback for Virginia. Pitt's defense has been really awful, especially against the pass. Benkert just completely exposed them in the first half. Um, and, and if Virginia's defense wasn't worse than Pittsburgh's, they would have won that game last weekend. Um, North Carolina's defense, uh, you know, you take it or leave it, right? Like, the pass defense shows up one week, doesn't show up the next week. The run defense hasn't really been there at all. Virginia, they're okay running the football. They'd obviously prefer to throw it. It's really going to be interesting to watch this game. It's going to turn into a shootout. I hate picking this game, really, because it could go one of two directions, I think. I'm kind of in, you know, I'm in the camp with you guys. I do think it's going to be high scoring, but I could see a scenario where North Carolina maybe just scores a lot more than Virginia does, even though it's, you know, very high scoring. Or I could see a scenario where they just play each other really close and whoever has the ball last wins. I'm going to pick North Carolina. I think top to bottom they're a better team right now. 
I think the Virginia is heading in the right direction. I mean, I think Bronco Mendenhall has his team rolling a lot better than we thought. They're in a lot better situation than Joey, Dan. I don't know how you guys – I mean, Joey, I have a pretty good idea of what you thought of them. Dan, Virginia was in flux about three weeks ago, and we didn't know if – Joey and I were sitting here questioning whether or not Bronco Mendenhall is the right guy for the job, even though he doesn't even have his guys in yet. That's how bad they were playing. They didn't even look well coached. They've completely turned turned the whole thing around, and even though they lost last Saturday against Pittsburgh, you can come away as Virginia fans saying, hey, we played a pretty good game. Our defense just isn't really there yet. I think that's what they're going to be saying, leaving Scott Stadium there at Virginia this weekend. I think North Carolina just outscores Virginia, but I think Virginia will be competitive in this one. But I like North Carolina win this game by about 7 to 10 points. Virginia's definitely been a little bit of a mess at times this year. Um, for what it's worth, I think that they might – just be pretenders. Um, I, I know that they're starting to score a lot of points, and it's starting to look like they're uh, they are gonna you know be a high scoring kind of team. But I don't know if they can keep it up. I mean, the defense they've scored a lot of points on were Central Michigan, Pittsburgh, who's had its problems, and Duke in a game where they got five turnovers um, from you know from the Duke offense. So. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a very high potential for this game to just get ugly by, like, halftime, and North Carolina to be up by, like, I don't know, like, 28 to 10 at that point. The Carolina defense has been about average, has been okay this year, which, honestly, North Carolina with an average defense is kind of a scary thought, because the offense can be good enough that it, it totally compensates for any sense of shortcoming for the defense so there's a lot of potential for North Carolina to finish finish the season strong and maybe sneak their way into uh, Orlando Orlando yeah not Charlotte uh, Orlando um, yeah I think I think North Carolina is going to run away with this game I think North Carolina wins this game big and and I think Virginia is going to fall back down to earth uh, after a, a few weeks of seemingly strong performances Joey loves the Tar Heels no no I don't I, I don't like the Tar Heels <laughs> Since we're making a list of teams we don't like, um, I, I don't like North Carolina, but they're really good. I'll give them that. <laughs> I can be objective, I guess. Sort of, right? Me too, yeah. right? Go Virginia? No. Okay. <laughs> Probably <laughs> try not. And make, try and make up for it, you know, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Anything else in this game, guys? No, we're good. All right, cool. Last one, the uh, the weekly, the game of the week, as it were, on, at least on this podcast. Sorry, Mike. Um, yeah, you know. Dan Rubin's Boston College Eagles, five-point favorites at home against the uh, recent winners, Syracuse Orange, 12.30 p.m. on ACC Network Extra, watch ESPN. Dan, why the hell is Boston College a favorite in this game? Can you explain this? Because I have no earthly idea, and I don't think Mike does either. Nope. <laughs> I love you guys. I want you to know that. But I'm going to throw this out there that – you know, I, I'm going to take BC as a favorite in this game on the strength of their defense and the fact that the offense has looked serviceable in the three game. And, and I know it's easy to say this when you say the 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 offense looked good in three games that they won, and they didn't look good in the three games that they lost. Right? Okay. Analysis. Um, and, yeah, analysis. That's that's some really hot piping hot sports take for you. Um, they didn't look bad against against Georgia Tech. They were fully balanced, 176 yards passing. 176 yards throwing. The two games, if we're throwing out those as measuring sticks that they lost, they had moved the ball against Clemson a little bit, and then it just, the, and then the third quarter just got away from them. Um, they were looking good at that point, and then they, the end of the first half, and everything just kind of fell apart on them. Um, in the three wins, granted who it was against, they looked really good. Syracuse, on the other hand, is offensive base. The defense for Syracuse has been a little bit of a problem this year. And I think if you're a Boston College fan or a Boston College supporter, you're looking for the offense to work against a Syracuse defense that gave up uh, a lot of points to Notre Dame and gave up 265 yards to Connecticut um, in the air. Again, they did go and beat them in the, Syracuse. They beat them, I think, on the road in that game. But they gave up 145 yards rushing and two touchdowns as well to Connecticut who is a two and two team, or or three and three team, or two and four? I can't remember their record off the top of my head. Um, that is out of that American conference. If you're a team that is able to run the ball and establish that run, 
you're going to win that game against Syracuse because as prolific as the offense is, they can't score if they're not on the field. And, well, doesn't that sound like it's something that plays right into Boston College's strengths, which is probably why they're favored in this game because the Syracuse weakness plays directly into the Boston College strength. Yeah, this this reminds me a little bit of the game, and this is coming from my obviously my viewpoint. The the Georgia Tech Miami game from earlier this year, from the standpoint that Georgia Tech's strategy in that game obviously was basically just to sit on the ball. Um, Georgia Tech held the ball for forty minutes in that game. They would go on these long drawn out drives, run the ball, run the ball, run the clock, keep the defense on the field, you know, all this. Miami would get the ball back and score or punt or whatever in about two minutes, if that. I mean, it was nothing. And it basically kind of felt like the Miami offense was just willing to mortgage their defense, uh, you know, just for the sake of tempo. Um, I could definitely see Boston College kind of playing that same game here with with Syracuse, an offense that likes to go up-tempo and likes to go fast and get in rhythm and do all these things. And if Boston College can keep them from doing that, they can definitely ugly this one up and and, and come out winners, I think. Uh, Mike, are the Eagles getting their first conference win in almost two years? Well, the one thing they have going for them is that they're playing at home, for whatever that's worth. And, and Dan, I'm, you know, all 15 fans there at BC will be there rooting oh, the... Oh, you know sorry. how to hurt a guy. Yeah. Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be rooting the team home. I... Uh, I, you know, it might be because I'm, you know, still mad at Syracuse for what they did to Virginia Tech. Um, I actually like BC in a little bit of an upset here because, Joey, I'm I'm kind of of the opinion of, you know, what you just threw out there as a theory with Boston College trying to sit on the football. Now, this is going to take BC's offense, especially the offensive line, Dan, playing to their capability in this game and establishing a run game. And I think if they do that, they're going to be able to sit on the football, maybe take Syracuse out of rhythm here a little bit. And this is the second straight week where Syracuse is playing a very good defense. And we saw what they did to Virginia Tech's really good defense last year, but this is a little bit different scheme at Boston College. I think they'll be able to game plan a little bit better for Eric Dungey this week. Offensively is a big question mark, right? Because if BC is able to kind of sit on the ball and and put up some points, obviously Syracuse's defense is not anything to write home about. So if you're BC, you can put up maybe 17 to 20 points and then just bend but don't break uh, defensively. I think you can win this game at home. I like BC to to win this game outright here. I think they're five point they're a five point favorite. I'm not sure they'll cover, but I do definitely think they'll win this football game. For what it's worth, the Syracuse offense is number four in the country in uh, adjusted pace. Boston College is 91st. If that tells you the the kind of dichotomy of offenses you're going to see in this game. And I think the biggest thing for Boston College is just going to be moving the chains. Just sustain some drives, finish some drives, score touchdowns, don't kick field goals. Uh, If you can do that, and, and obviously that defense is going to come up with a few stops against Syracuse in some capacity. I feel weird saying this, but I think Boston College does have a good, a really good chance of winning this game um, and getting over that hump in ACC play. Dan, is, is fi- the, the total in this game is 53. Does that sound right to you? I would think that they wouldn't score that many points between the two teams. There's one other factor into this, and that's the weather. It's going to be incredibly windy this weekend. Um temperatures in new england are going to be into the 50s which doesn't usually sometimes makes a big deal um you know it can sometimes be a big deal when you're playing miami to play in the 50s because that's beautiful for us and it's cold for them um the temperature as the game goes on is going to dip um because it's only going to get into the high in the 50s and then it's going to start dropping as the game gets a little closer into the evening hour early evening hours um so when you couple that with wind in new england um points are going to be at a premium uh i think if you're passing and there's the gusting winds uh it's going to be a little tougher to throw um i think boston college is going to be able to establish that if they're able to establish that run pick this one up and and put the win in their column but at the same time it's going to be a i have a feeling it's going to be a low scoring game if people want to see the the high flying the baylor type offenses 
BC's not the team to watch it to begin with. They're going to be a run-first offense. They're not going to play for that razzle-dazzle type of play. And even when they're getting a little opening of the opening up the playbook, getting a little creative, it's not going to be flea flickers and reverse options. That's just not the way they're designed. Um, so they are capable of doing it. They might do it, but it's a reasonable expectation to not think that. So I think if they, you're right, if they move the chains, if Tolls keeps that offense progressing, they have a really good shot at winning this game because that's their that's their mo. That's how they're going to win this game. If they're not able to do that, then they're going to need to come up with something somewhere. You know what? Give me Boston College 27-24. I think they're Hell yeah. I think they're Hell yeah, Joey. The Eagles, the Boston Basketball Conference Podcast Team of the Week. There you go, Joey. I'll, I'll, oh, buy, I'll, I'll buy on that. I like it. I like it. You're just saying that because I'm here. I, I am legitimately only saying that because you're here. Um, the Team of the Week. <laughs> All right, guys. One more thing we got to do before we get out of here, uh, and this is one more thing that I guess Dan, you haven't done before. We got to do our picks of the week here. So the way that this works for those un- uninitiated, we got a, a whole bunch of spreads and totals here. Uh, we, we're recording a little later this week, so we've actually got the totals for all these games. Dan, you're going to be asked start. You'll start. You're the guest. You can go first, uh, and then Mike. I think you went first last week, so then I'll I'll go second, and you'll go last. Yeah. Yep. But basically, we're going to go through and t- pick your favorite team to either cover a spread or your game that you think will go over or under a total. Um, and, and we are recording these. I myself coming in am, what am I, 6-1. and one. Mike is 2-5. and five. And Mr. Cam Underwood, I will warn you, has picked Miami effectively. His first one was a total. He chose to go over. The second one, he picked Miami minus 2 against Florida State. He's 0-2. So pick Boston College if you dare. Uh, but the, the floor is yours, Dan. Feel free to make your pick of the week. All right. Yeah, I'm going to need uh, – so is it just a pick, take a team or is it just like some something about that team? Uh, pick a team either to cover a spread or pick a game to go over or under the total. So so um, it's, it's your, your ACC gambling pick of the week, basically. Oh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not the gambling type. I'm gonna, I'll have to refrain from that. Then I'm not the, uh, I'm not the gambling type. I'll leave that to the professionals. I'll pick a winner. <laughs> I'll pick a winner, but I, I don't know about the, uh, the other stuff. I'll, uh, I'm gonna, I'm just because I'm gonna take the safe bet and uh, bet, you know, for what, it, what it's worth, and, and go with, uh, I'll take Virginia Tech. Um, but I'm not the, I'm not the betting kind on that stuff. I think that's the. Uh, the nice way of putting it, because there's so many different variables and, and all that. But I'll take I'll take Virginia Tech to win that game, and I think they can win by a touchdown or more. Okay, so Virginia Tech to cover a six point spread. We'll we'll, we'll give you that. Um, okay. Yeah, this is this is not actually for money or anything, just you know, <laughs> entertainment's sake. Um, all right, Dan Rubin has Virginia Tech minus six at home against Miami on Thursday night. Mike, I have a feeling that might have been where you were going. Um, I myself am going to pick uh, Louisville NC State to go over 65 points. I think that with the way that the NC State offense has been playing and just kind of the way that this game sets up for them, I think this game could very easily turn into a shootout. And even if it's a bit of a boat race, I think that NC State will score enough to push this game over. I think I, I said before that I thought that Clemson might have been the only team this year to hold Louisville under 50 points. And then Duke just continues to find ways to, like, spoil my life. And uh, they, they held Louisville to 24 last week. I think we're getting away from that. I think Louisville and, and NC State are going to put on a, a bit of a show here and have some fireworks in this game. Give me Louisville-NC State over 65. Mike McDaniel, what is your ACC pick of the week? Well, with only four games to choose from, uh, there's only one that I can pick. And it's Virginia Tech to cover minus six. Surprise, surprise. Um, I love the Hokies to cover at home. I just, I think they're a better team than Miami. Uh, I think Miami's been exposed the last week, uh, last couple weeks is a little bit fraudulent. I know they played Florida State tough in a rivalry game. They lost that game at home, though. Um, They lose to North Carolina in a game that really wasn't all that close in the second half. I mean, I know they, they, you know, they, they went to a running game way too late. 
I don't think they're going to be able, you know, I could be wrong. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball in Virginia Tech. And because of that, I think Brad Kai is going to struggle. And if he struggles, they're not going to score any points. I like Virginia Tech to win this game by a couple touchdowns. Um, I, I think it's a 10 to 14 point spread in this one. Um, I think Virginia Tech could go up by, you know, maybe th- maybe it's just me being a homer. I think Virginia Tech could go up by three touchdowns in this game. Miami scores late to, to make it look a little bit prettier. I'm not sure this game is all that close in the second half, guys. So to recap, Dan and Mike, you're both taking Virginia Tech minus six against Miami at home on Thursday night. I'm going NC State Louisville over 65 on Saturday. This is a pretty light slate of games in the ACC this week, and only four games, so it kind of restricts your options a little bit. But it's also a little bit of the uh, the calm before the storm factor, where next weekend there's a whole bunch of teams that come off bye weeks and have some pretty big matchups. Uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but I believe Florida State Clemson is next weekend. It um, is. Let's see, Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh on a Thursday night again. Um, let's see, Louisville at Virginia, Georgia Tech at home against Duke, Boston College at NC State. There's a full slate of games. Oh, and Miami at Notre Dame, uh, Convicts at Catholics. Uh, that'll be next weekend as well. So a full slate for week nine. Week eight, we got to get you through, and, and it seems like there might be some interesting games here, so definitely tune in. Mr. Dan Rubin, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure having you on. You have been fantastic, uh, and and you provided so many great insights on the Boston College team. I have renewed faith in them. You are you are welcome to come back and join us anytime that you are available. No, I love you guys. Nothing but love for you guys. Well, we appreciate it, Mike. This has been fun. Uh, we'll we'll do it again next weekend and kind of recap some of this week week eight, week eight action. For sure. Uh, thanks, Dan, for coming on. It's been awesome. And Joey, thank you, of course, as always. Oh, I you're very welcome. Main, the main co-host right here. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. But anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, so until then, if you guys want to find us on social media, I am on Twitter at FTRS Joey. Mike is at Mike McDaniel ACC. And Mr. Dan Rubin is at DanRubin12. Uh, and Dan, what was the website again? BCEagles.com. Yes, that's right. BCEagles.com. If you go under the section where they have all the team pages, just click on Eagles Unlimited and uh, read up on some stuff. And if you're if you're interested in Boston College or in, in any ACC sport, it's more than just football there, too. So uh, with, with all the other sports, there's some really great kids at BC, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting them some uh, some really great notoriety. It's been, it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, go educate yourself on Boston College, courtesy of Mr. Dan Rubin. Well, guys, it's been fun. Uh, like I said, so at... FTRS Joey, at Mike McDaniel ACC, at Dan Rubin 12, and the podcast as a whole is at BC Podcast ACC. You can also send us an email, the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it, Dan. Um, man, yeah, I'm, I'm getting good at this. Um, but yeah, until then, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud, and we will be back probably on Monday with a Week 8 recap. Uh, but until then, enjoy the games and uh, appreciate you guys listening. This is this is a lot of fun, and I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. Uh, please do send us your feedback. But uh, until next week, when we have some sweet ACC action to recap and some more even to preview, uh, for Mike McDaniel and Mr. Dan Rubin, I'm Joey Weaver. Go ACC.